give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. 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 God is so wonderful, isn't he? Amen. When the dead in Christ will rise, that last trump sounds and the dead in Christ will rise. We'll be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That's something to look forward to. Amen. There's many things in this world. We all look forward to different things, but that one thing, it's worth every minute of our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. We'll just turn immediately to the Scripture. Thank you, Brother Mark and the musicians. and Brother Mark, Brother Max, the foot tambourine, they're gone. My goodness. Sounds good. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, I recently was just speaking with Brother Tito. He brought this scripture up to my attention, and I just was pondering on it the last couple of days. And it's good scripture. They're all good, right? All scripture was given for inspiration, and it's all good for doctrine and for teaching. And Amen. We need every last one of them. Because you take one word away or you add one word to. It's not that we need to memorize everyone, but we must believe everyone. Amen. Amen. I, I want to just read the whole chapter here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I'm not going to take too much time myself. Um, I've got something else planned tonight. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus... And the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Isaac, if you could turn my monitors off, that would be great. There. I feel like I, I need to whisper because I'm talking <laughs> to myself here. Amen. It says, we give thanks to God always for you all, but make mention and making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. 
knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Wasn't that the word wasn't important? It was important. It came in word. You had to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing. But it didn't just come that way. It also came in power. It wasn't a dead letter. It had a life that came with it. And in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of man we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. It wasn't just exuberance, emotion. It was joy of the Holy Ghost. It was something bubbling up from within. And he says, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonian and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we have unto you, that how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his sons from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's bow our heads together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, this scripture really, there's so much in it, Lord, that it's so deep and profound that, Lord, may you make it a reality to us tonight. Not just something that we look at and say, oh, I see what happened, but Lord, make it live in our lives, Lord. That there would be a joy of the Holy Ghost in the young people in End Time Message Tabernacle. That it would be heard abroad. That there would be such a working of God here. That Lord, we couldn't be contained in these four walls. But it would go out from here, Lord, to those that are in this city, to the other churches in this city, to the other cities around about that they say, there is a people. They might be Canadian, but they're not starchy. There's a people that love Jesus. There's a people that got a hold of God in a real way. Father, we want to commit the service to you. We want to commit the words that are spoken, the video that's played, Lord, that it would be to your glory and to your honor, Lord, that you could use it, Lord. Father, we just want to put it in your hands, Lord, for in those hands, Lord, you could take little and make much. Those hands, Lord, that took a few loaves and a few fishes and fed 5,000. Those hands that just wiped across, Lord, and the Red Sea peeled back. And that mouth that blew, Lord, and then it stepped into a body and created Adam, Lord. And you created Elohim to come down. And Father, just as we just put it in your hands, we ask you'd speak to us tonight. And breathe your breath upon us now. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. I mean, you can have your seats for a moment. I'm going to speak for just a moment here, Brother Ethan, so just hold on to that. Have your scripture there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I just was, as I was pondering on this, just looking at things in my thoughts tonight, and it have been a while really on revival. 
What is revival and how does how, how revival happen and how can we step into revival? Because really in today, if you follow it through the message, Brother Branham would talk about there isn't going to be a great sweeping revival where we're going to fill all the churches again and everything's going to be wonderful. But no, but the revival is you. The, the bride of Jesus Christ is constantly in revival. And she is constantly in, in expectation for more of God because she is a part of God. So we want to be able to step into that and recognize that though the world around us, and there may even be people in the church beside us sitting here, not just tonight, but on Sunday or on, on Wednesday or sitting at home thinking that they have no desire to come to church. But we want to realize that what about me? What about my part? I need to be in revival. I need the Holy Spirit to be working in me and moving in me so that I can't contain it myself because maybe if God can move in me, that he can move out to others. But it starts with one person. If God could get one person really right to their, their soul and get them on fire, they could flip a whole city upside down. And you might flip Edmonton upside down and you might only find one. But the flipping was worth it for the one. Amen. Because that's revival. Revival is to the seed of God. It's not just to the, to the world. It's for you. And it's for the seed. It's for those who he would call. Because he said, my sheep, they know my voice. And they won't follow another one. They'll follow me. They'll come after me. They'll know something within them, in other words, will pick up on that. And he's the great shepherd. He knows exactly how to bring a sheep into the sheepfold. It's just for us to speak the word. And I want to just to notice in this scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, it brings out that Paul starts out talking about the Thessalonians. And the first thing he talks about, he says that we, 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 we've been praying for you. In verse 2, he says, we, we were making mention of you in our prayers. When it didn't just start haphazardly. It didn't just happen upon a city. It didn't just happen upon the people. It started in the secret of Paul's prayer closet. There was something here that started, that, that a work that went out from here that started on their knees, that they begin to call on God, what would you do today? How many souls would you save today? What would you have us to do? Where would you have us to go? Remember the saints in M Time Message Tabernacle. Meet them tonight. That's how it started, but then it moved down, and he says, I know not only that, but it started with the people that now they did, they had a labor of love, and they had a work of faith. We heard about that Sunday morning. Brother Ed was preaching on a, on a mixing of faith and love. And we want more faith. We want rapturing faith. But really what we need is to have a labor of love. Because if you want to see faith come on the scene, just use, use the love of God or allow the love of God to be projected through you. And faith will subconsciously step up and do the work. But it, 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 these are just elements or aspects that are used that Paul begins, begins to lay out in the very first chapter as he's writing this letter. And he says the third thing, he says, you know, you're knowing, brethren, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. In other words, you know the truth. You know the word. You know where you're standing. You know who you are. You've been well taught. I believe we in this church can say that. If you've been raised in this church, if you've been in this church for a year, you know I've been well taught. I know where I'm standing. There's been a fivefold ministry. There's been a hunger. There's been a preaching that you need to be in the message. You need to listen to the tapes. You need to study the Bible. If you're not doing those things, I'd encourage you, do them. There's nothing that will help you more than a time alone in prayer. 
There's nothing that will help you more than a time of devotion where it's just you and God. But they, they knew that, and then they, when he comes down, he says it wasn't just that, but he didn't just have the truth, but also it came in power. It came with the Holy Ghost. There was a power that came with that truth. It wasn't just a knowledge, in other words. It wasn't just a knowledge of we preached the word and it was received as the word, but it was received as life. It was received and it changed their lives and it changed them and changed the way they once were. As you go down to the last or second last verse, it says you turned from your idols and you turned to the one true and living God. In other words, the Holy Spirit came and it had enough power to change you. And the next point is, he says, not only that, but you're fellowshipping in the message of the hour. You became followers of us. What's Paul saying? He said, you became followers of the message of the hour. You didn't just have some experience and just start walking in your own way. You begin to follow the truth for your day. He says, that's important. Brother Bradham would say revival, God's never used a denomination to start a revival. He's never started a revival in denomination. He's never taken it. We're going we're gonna to watch something tonight on the Welsh revival, and you'll find the Welsh revival never started in a, in, a, in, a, in a denomination. It started with a man that got real with God and came out of the denomination. But now another point was that then we begin, the revival fires begin to light, where they begin to say, you begin to be an example to all those in Macedonia, all those in Asheia, and all those, uh, even beyond that, your works begin to be talked about. Why? There was some prayer. There was some preaching. There was the Holy Spirit. You see what I'm talking about? There's some ingredients here. You say, I want to see God move in such a powerful way. There's got to be some key ingredients. It's got to start down on your knees. It has to start in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. And in the last verse he says, and to wait for his son from heaven. What's the whole point of it? We're getting ready when he would come, riding on the clouds. When he would come to sweep his bride away. We're getting ready for one purpose. Revival's not to have a show. It's for one purpose, to make hearts ready for him. Amen. And I want to just read now from the message in Broken Cisterns. Brother Branham talks a fair bit about revival, but he says, and he begins to talk about an artesian well, a bubbling up spring. And he says in that, that spring, he says, you don't need no filter. You don't need a strainer. You don't need no pumping, no jerking, no nothing else. It's just there, bubbling up. It doesn't have to depend on local rains to fill it up. He says, rains are revivals. They're... Where, where, where that fountain, there, that's at that fountain of life. He says, where the carcass is, the eagles will gather. You don't have to pump up a revival. You don't have to pump up nothing. Only thing you have to do is just come to the fountain. It's always full of good, fresh water, and there's no end to it. That's why, why are those ingredients so important? Prayer, what are you doing? You're approaching the fountain. What are you doing when you're preaching the word? What are you doing when you're listening to the message? You're learning and you're, and you're intaking the fountain. Remember I preached that a couple of Sunday mornings ago. There's got to be an intake and there's got to be an out. 
There's got to be the word coming in and there's got to be the prayer going out for the Holy Spirit to begin to work in your life. Well, it says now the only thing you have to do is just come to the fountain. It's always good, fresh water, and there's no end to it. It just keeps on bubbling. I was talking yesterday with Brother Ed, and one thing he mentioned, he said, you know, we were talking about the, our daily strength. How many of you have that, our daily strength? Nobody has it. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, okay. One, two, three. Okay. How many has that, our daily strength? That you, you, I know a lot of you do. Okay. Something that Brother, the brother Coffee. Uh, his, his son, Brother Barry Coffey's son, I can't remember which one puts it, does that, I think. And, uh, but we were talking about it, so, you know, it's amazing how they always come up with, with new material every day. Why? It's an inexhaustible fountain. It's been going on for years now, and every day there's some quote in some scripture, something put on there, and it's something fresh. Why? It's an inexhaustible fountain. You could keep having devotions every day. You know what? God will speak to you in a new way every day. You'll find something in the scripture. I've read some scriptures over and over and over and over and over again. Every time I read, I go, I, I did. How come I didn't see that last time? <laughs> how come that's real to me this time? You listen to another message and you're like, man, I've, I've listened to the seals. I don't even know how many times. I've read the seals. I don't know how many times. But I'm going through them again and it's like, I didn't see that last time. It's an inexhaustible fountain. Every time you pick it up, every time you start to look through these things, it's, it's coming back to that fountain. He says, that's the way with these man-made systems are. You go in and you've got to have some big something going on. Some big cable or selling something or some kind of something going on. Big parties and bunkle games and parties in the basement and everything. He says, you might have a full house. Well, people think that's revival if the pews are full. Let me tell you something. That's not revival. This is like the little Welshman. Oh, sorry. He says, you can, you, he says, when you go on where the fountain is bubbling up, the people are getting a good cold drink of water. You can depend on it. Say they haven't had a revival in 10 years. That's the world's point of view. But he says, if you live by that fountain, she's always got a revival going on. This is like the little Welshman said, or one time, the Welsh revival going on, there was some dignitaries from the United States, some of the great doctors of divinity come over, to Wales, and, and they find out where, where, where all this was at, and they had their turned-around collars and their plug hats, and they were walking down the street, and they come to a little cop along, whirling his little billy club in his hand. We've all heard this story so many times. And he was just a-whistling down on the cross where my Savior died, down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Oh, glory to his name. Just walking down the street like that. I'd like some police officers like that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Amen. So there they was. He said, this seems to be a religious man. So they, so they go up to ask him. He said, mister. He said, yes, sir. He said, we've come here from the United States. We're dignitaries. We're a delegation. He says, we've come to investigate the Welsh revival, so-called. We're doctors of divinity, and we're here to look it over. He said, we want to know where the revival is, where it's held. He said, sir, you have arrived. I am the Welsh revival. Amen. The Welsh revival is in me. Here is where it's at. Amen. That's the way it was when you live by that fountain of living water. It's living all the time, bubbling up over and over and over. There's no end to it. Not go see if some water, if we had some rain to come along. That's not it. In other words, he's not looking for the next special meeting. He's not looking for the next special service. He's not looking for the next great impressive doctrine. But there's something constantly bubbling up. He says, it, 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 and see if he spells his words out right. 
He says, oh my, he says, my, there's no end to it. Not go see if there's water, but it's the living fountain of living water. As I say, it gives its water free. You don't have to put a rag on it to find out some educational rags before you could send him out to preach to see if he spells his words out right, speaks them right, if he uses his nouns and pronouns and so forth and adjectives. Many of them don't even know what they are. But he's living at the fountain just the same. Hallelujah. It's not how well we can convince somebody of the gospel. It's if there's a life in you. Amen. Then your brother, I think it's brother Moses that was preaching on that. That makes you a true witness. When there's a life in you, you've got an experience with God. Then it's not about what I can put together and how I can convince somebody in the message knowledge that I have. But it's something you say, oh, but it's true. Oh, but it's a reality. He says, I don't, it don't have to depend on the local rains. It fills up to fill it up or the local revivals. You don't have to do that for the power and its purity is within itself. That's where the word is, its own power. When a man can receive it in his heart, it's got its purity, it's got its power, it's right in the word itself. Springs forth the life. Oh my. Oh my. I'm just going to skip some of this because I, I wanted to read some more of it. But He says, they think, the world thinks you have to have a big denomination together. Let them get around and get big milling around and so forth and get thousands to cooperate and all this to have a revival. Sometimes God takes a little old guy that don't even know his ABCs. And right amongst a bunch of illiterate people that hardly know their right hand from their left. And we could raise up a, he can raise up a revival that will shake the world. He did it in the time of John. He done it in the time of the prophets. None of them, as we know of, was ever educated. But God had got a hold of them to do something with them. Amen. That's what we want in our lives, isn't it? I, I may not know very much, but I know the author of the Bible. I know the author of the Word of God. The one that spoke it said, let there be. He's the one I want to know. I want tonight, we're just going to watch a, a video clip. It's about 50 minutes long, 5-0. And uh, it's, it's on the Welsh Revival. It's called the Diary of Revival. And uh, I, I trust it'd be a blessing for you. It just has been such a blessing to me. It's, it's taken from the, the diary and the notebook of the man that was largely responsible for the Welsh Revival. And I uh, trust you could enjoy it. industrial valleys, a nation proud of its history, determined to guard its own unique inheritance, a people with their own culture, many still speaking its own distinct tongue, Welsh or Cymraeg as the Cymru or Welshman might say. This is a land littered by castles and forts, a legacy of battles for independence from its Anglo-Saxon neighbors. But alongside 
mixed with the political and cultural history of the nation, is a stream of Christian history and spiritual revival, beginning in the third century and continuing to the present day. By the end of the 19th century, Wales could have been described as a Christian land, an inheritance received from centuries of the good news of Jesus Christ, shared by thousands of ordinary and sometimes extraordinary Christian people. These people in many cases still remain anonymous, known only to God. This is especially true of the beginning of Christianity in the land, with only a few scant names surviving the centuries. Saint David, Wales' patron saint, was one of them. But history records other spiritual heroes who also made their mark. William Morgan, who in 1558, the year of the Spanish Armada, published the translation of the Bible into the Welsh language, a work that was to have a profound influence, both spiritually and culturally, for the Welsh people. Howell Harris, the zealous founder and organizer of the Welsh Methodist movement, accompanied by Daniel Rowland, arguably the greatest preacher of his day, and William Williams, Pantakilin, the Welsh Charles Wesley, who provided the music score for the composition of over 1,000 hymns, most of which are still sung today. By the mid-18th century, uh, due to the labours of these people, we have regular periods of religious revival. Uh, you have thousands of conversions, anointed singing, uh, people coming to the Lord. Years such as 1762, 1817, 1859, uh, become years of revival and massive church growth. The years of the right hand of the Lord. The 19th century becomes a gallery of well-known, famous, powerful preachers. Christmas Edmonds, the one-eyed preacher, the, the Prince of Anglesey. Thomas Charles, who started the Sunday School Movement, was one of the founders, for instance, of the British and Foreign Bible Society, a great author, and, of course, David Morgan, the revivalist of the 1859 revival, along, of course, with other revivalists, such as Richard Owen, some years later. By the 1900s, chapels were still full, well attended, Christianity was still central to the ethos and identity of the Welsh nation. But the spark seemed to have gone out of much of the religion. The vital spark, the passion was going and people were concerned about this. A number of people were saying that something was missing. For a long time, I was much troubled in my soul and my heart by thinking over the failure of Christianity. Oh, and it seemed such a failure. Such a failure. And I prayed and prayed, but nothing seemed to give me any relief. These are the words of a young collier from West Glamorgan. He'd left school when he was 12 years old to help his father down the mine. He was an unknown outside his village. Nobody would really heard of him. No great preacher, no degree in theology. Yet in his 26th year, in a few weeks, he was to become one of the most talked about Christians in Wales. 
in a few months, stories were going to spread about him throughout the international community. His name was Evan Roberts. This is his story, mostly in his own words. Evan Roberts was born on June the 8th, 1878, the son of Henry and Hannah Roberts at Island House, Bochamanith on the Lacha Estuary. He grew up here, he played here, and he spent a lot of his time swimming in the Lacha River. On one occasion, he even saved his friend from drowning in the dangerous currents. It was here that he went to church, it was here that he spent his boyhood, and later was to begin work in the local coal mine. Evan Roberts' love for spiritual things begins at an early age. He's converted when he's 13, but he decides to seek for a deeper spiritual experience after hearing a deacon in the meeting posing the question, what if the spirit came and you were absent? I said then to myself, I will have the spirit. And through all weather, in spite of all difficulties, I went to the meetings. Many times, on seeing other boys with the boats on the tide, I was tempted to turn back and join them. But no. Then I said to myself, remember your resolve to be faithful. And on I went. Prayer meeting Monday evening at the chapel. Prayer meeting Tuesday evenings at Pisca. Church meeting Wednesday evening, Band of Hope Thursday, class Friday evening. To there I went faithfully throughout the years. Evan's dedication wasn't only a personal thing. It soon developed into a passion and prayer for national revival. For 10 or 11 years I have prayed for a revival. I could sit up all night to read or talk about revivals. It was the spirit that moved me to think about the revival. By this time, he had left the coal mine and for a number of months had worked with his uncle as a blacksmith in the nearby town of Ponta Valais. But before long, his desire to see Wales spiritually awakened led him to apply to be a minister with the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist Church. But for Evan, it was grave or pulpit. So, he left the smithy. Spring 1904 was a key time for him. It was a time of a much deeper experience of God. He described the experience to W.T. Stead, the well-known journalist, someone who lost his life just eight years later in the Titanic disaster, but who's credited with bringing something new into British journalism. For a long time, I was much troubled in my soul and my heart by thinking over the failure of Christianity. Oh, and it seemed such a failure. Such a failure. And I prayed and prayed, but nothing seemed to give me any relief. But one night, after I had been in great distress praying about this, I went to sleep. And at one o'clock in the morning, suddenly I was waked up out of my sleep and I found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the very presence of the Almighty God. And for the space of four hours, I was privileged to speak face to face with Him 
as a man speaks face to face with a friend. At five o'clock, it seemed to me as if I had again returned to earth. Were you not dreaming? No, I was wide awake. And it was not only that morning, but every morning for three or four months. Always I enjoyed four hours of that wonderful communion with God. I cannot describe it. I felt it, and it seemed to change all my nature. And I saw things in a different light. And I knew that God was going to work in the land, and not this land only, but in all the world. You put on paper all that you remembered of these times of communion? No, I wrote nothing at all. And it went on all the time until I had to go to Newcastle Emlyn, to the college, to prepare for the ministry. On Tuesday, 13th of September, 1904, Evan Roberts arrived at the grammar school in Newcastle Emlyn with his best friend, Sidney Evans. Writing to his sister, he describes the coursework. I suppose you would have a word with regard to schoolwork. We have started with Latin, Greek, history, Welsh grammar, English grammar, and mathematics. We have gone through four reigns, Henry VII, Henry VIII, Edward VI, and Mary. Learning, 9.30 until 12. Afternoons, 1.30 to 4. Both of us are in excellent health. He lodged at T. Floyd, just a few hundred yards from the grammar school. We have very kind folk at our lodgings. We pay three shillings and sixpence, washing and potatoes included. They also give freely of their own sustenance. It is a very clean place. Between the school and the lodgings was Sunnyside, the home of the Reverend Evan Phillips, a patriarchal figure among the preachers of the day and someone who had experienced the last great national Welsh awakening some 45 years previously. He preached as a young man alongside the Reverend David Morgan from Aspati Astwith, the most well-known of the 1859 revival preachers. By 1904, he was the minister of Bethel, the Calvinistic Methodist Chapel at Newcastle Emlyn, and his home Sunnyside became a place of fellowship for the students at the grammar school. But all was not well for the fledgling student. On arriving at the grammar school in Newcastle Emlyn, he began to experience a spiritual coldness. Even the sight of the cross brought no tears to my eyes. But this was all soon to change at Blaenanerch, which was to become the defining experience in Evan Roberts' spiritual development. Before Blaenanerch, we see the quiet, unassuming, serious student. After Blaenanerch, it's Evan Roberts, the revivalist, who was to become a household name in Wales within six weeks. This place was to become, at one and the same time, a crossroads for Evan Roberts and a meeting place for others who had a similar vision. The chapel at Blaenanerch was to be the venue of a convention for the deepening of the spiritual life. This was arranged by some spiritually minded local ministers, one of whom, Joseph Jenkins from Newquay, was to be deeply involved in North Wales revival meetings during the next few months. The young people in his church had experienced a powerful refreshing of their faith since February of that year. It all began with the public testimony of one 16-year-old girl, Florrie Evans. 
she declared that she loved the Lord Jesus with all her heart. The effect in the morning service was electrifying, and the spiritual fervor spread rapidly to the other youth of the area in the following days and weeks. This group of energized and evangelistically minded youth were to make a profound impression on Roberts during his time at Blynanich and Newcastle Emlyn. Also taking part in the convention were two other spiritually awakened ministers, W. W. Lewis and Seth Joshua. Seth was an evangelist for the forward movement of the Calvinistic Methodist Church. He too had a burden for revival. For the last four years, he had been burdened to pray that God would take a lad from the coal mine or from the field to revive the work in Wales, even as Elijah had been taken from the plough. He asked that God would not take a man from the universities, which might feed pride and intellectualism, but rather use a simple lad, that the glory might go to God alone. Seth had kept this mainly to himself until that Thursday morning, October the 29th, when he shared it with the students who were traveling with him in the car to Blynanerch. Amongst them was Evan Roberts, who had attended the convention on the Wednesday and had obviously been affected. Speaking to one of Evan Phillips' daughters on that Wednesday, he noted, I have built the altar and laid the wood in order and have prepared the offering. I have only to wait for the fire. The young Elijah was ready, and he didn't have long to wait. The fire was to fall the next day. We started yesterday morning at six. It was very fine and dry and full of lovely scenery. As we climbed the hills, we could see the mist in the valleys, as if it were a sea. We sang in the cart, and my feelings were very varied. Now high, now low. The seven o'clock meeting was devoted to asking and answering questions. The Reverend W. W. Lewis conducted. At the close, the Reverend Seth Joshua prayed and said during his prayer, Lord, do this, and this, and this, and bend us. He did not say, O oh Lord, bend us. It was the Spirit that put the emphasis for me on bend us. That is what you need, is what the Spirit said to me. And as I went out, I prayed, O Lord, bend me. At the breakfast table in the Reverend M.P. Morgan's house, Mag Phillips offered me bread and butter. I refused, because I was satisfied. At the same moment, the Reverend Seth Joshua was putting his hand to take the bread and butter and the thought struck me. Is it possible that God is offering me the Spirit and that I am unprepared to receive Him? That others are ready to receive but are not offered? Now my bosom was quite full and tight. On the way to the nine o'clock meeting, the Reverend Seth Joshua remarked, we are going to have a wonderful meeting today. To this I replied, I feel myself almost bursting. The meeting, having been opened, was handed over to the Spirit.
I was conscious that I would have to pray as one and the others prayed. I put the question to the spirit. Shall I pray now? Wait a minute, said he. When others prayed, I felt a living force come into my bosom. It held my breath and my legs shivered and at every prayer I asked, shall I now? The living force grew and grew. I was almost bursting. Instantly someone ended his prayer, my bosom boiling. I would have burst if I had not prayed. What boiled me was God commending his love. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me and the tears and perspiration flowed freely. I thought blood was gushing forth. Mrs. Davis came to wipe my face. For about two minutes it was fearful. I cried, bend me, bend me, bend us. Then, oh, and Mrs. Davis said, oh, wonderful grace. Yes, I said, oh, wonderful grace. What bent me was God commending his love and I not seeing anything in it to commend. After I was bent, a wave of peace came over me and the audience sang, I hear thy welcome voice. And as they sang, I thought of the bending at the judgment day. And I was filled with compassion for those who would be bent on that day. And I wept. Use them. Evan Roberts becomes a changed man. Henceforth, the salvation of souls became the burden of my heart. From that time, I was on fire with a desire to go through all wheels. And if it were at all possible, I was willing to pay God for allowing me to go. Writing to a friend some days later, Evan explains, I have received three great blessings. First, I have lost all nervousness. Second, I can sing all day long. Some physical impediment obstructed me before. And third, I had gone as hard as flint, but Diolchido, thanks be to him, oh, what an easy thing it is to thank now. Evan experienced increasing difficulty continuing his studies at school. On October the 28th, he wrote to his sister Mary, Spiritual things have such a hold on me. To tell you the truth, I have not done much work since I am here. I try to shake off these thoughts, spiritual thoughts, but it would have been as easy to turn back the flow of the sea. His only book becomes the Bible. John Phillips, the headmaster, son of Evan Phillips, the minister of Bethel, notes the change in Evan. From this point, there was no way of getting Roberts to school. His old desire to benefit a guilty world gained continually in strength during these weeks, and it conquered every other desire in his soul. To all who knew him, there was something strange in his manner now, and he caused them great anxiety that his mind was becoming impaired. A Dr. Hughes from the United States, who happened to be in the area, spent some time with him and feared for his mental stability. Tutors and friends didn't know what to do for the best. 
The month of October was to be a month of intense prayer for God's guidance as to the next step. Exactly a week after his experiences at Blaen Anerch, Evan took part in a revival service in Tour Gwyn, some five miles from Newcastle Emlyn. It was led by Joseph Jenkins, the minister at Newquay. These early experiences were to give Evan Roberts the blueprint that he was to follow in his own meetings. The minister opened the meeting for anyone to speak, and Evan Roberts took the opportunity of encouraging the congregation to win souls for Christ. The service commenced at 6.15 and closed at 10.15. Four hours meeting and no one but young people taking part. A great number of those young people were girls from Newquay, teenagers and women in their early twenties already on fire since the spring of the year. This was most unusual during the early 1900s, where pulpit oration and public speaking was almost totally dominated by men. It was on a long, five-mile walk from this meeting that Evan Roberts, turning to his best friend and companion, Sidney Evans, asked, Do you think that it is too much to ask God to save 100,000 in Wales? Speaking some months later to a Gorsainan minister, he explained, After receiving the Spirit, some of us agreed to ask the Lord for 100,000 souls in Wales for Christ. And I saw Jesus Christ presenting a sort of check to his father, and on it written, 100,000. And it's all right. Within two years, the check was to be cashed. Another revival meeting attended by Evan Roberts was at Capel Drindnod on the 28th of October. Anne, Evan Phillips' daughter, was an eyewitness to the event. The Reverend Joseph Jenkins and the girls from Newquay were there, holding a revival meeting. Roberts went up early in the afternoon to prepare himself for the six o'clock service. He was in the woods praying. After entering, he had his eyes closed and was under some wonderful influences. The meeting went on excellently in singing and prayer, but before long it began to cool, because speaking took the place of the prayer and praise. The meeting's going down, said Roberts, and I cannot bear this. At once he was on his feet and saying fervently that Jesus was not glorified as he should be because people wanted to show themselves. With these words he fell in the pill and prayed in such a manner that no one in the congregation had ever heard such a prayer. He asked me to sing. I refused about five times, but at last I did and he accompanied me full of fervor. Thanks for the meeting, that couple rendered. It will be with me eternally. Evan didn't sleep all night. The divine outpouring was so heavy that I had to shout out and ask God to withhold his hand. Anne's sister, Rachel, had not experienced the same influence as the others. Evan asked her if she had refused to obey the Holy Spirit in any way. No, I don't think so. But I have felt many times on Sundays that I would like to repeat some hymn, were it not that I fear what people would think, and that I want to show myself. Oh yes, he remarked, that is it. Refusing to do a small thing like that is sufficient for him. Obedience must be given in the smallest thing. It looks small to us, but when obeying, the blessing comes.
Sunday, 30th of October, 1904. Evan Roberts, the revivalist, is ready, envisioned by the spirituality and the boldness of the new key girls, he desires to go back to Lacha to reach his own youth through this message. This he explains to W.T. Stead. One Sunday as I sat in the chapel, I could not fix my mind upon the service, for always before my eyes I saw as in a vision the schoolroom in my own village, and there sitting in rows before me, my old companions and all the young people and I saw myself addressing them. I shook my head impatiently and strove to drive away the vision, but it always came back. And I heard a voice in my inward ears, as plain as anything, saying, go and speak to these people. For a long time, I would not, but the pressure became greater and greater, and I could hear nothing of the sermon. Then at last, I could resist no longer, and I said, well, Lord, if it is thy will, I will go. Then instantly, the vision vanished. The whole chapel became filled with light so dazzling that I could faintly see the minister in the pulpit, and between him and me, the glory as the light of the sun in heaven. And then you went home? No, I went to my tutor and told him all things and asked him if he believed that if it was God or the devil. And he said, the devil does not put good thoughts into the mind. I must go and obey the heavenly vision. So I went back to my own village. On Monday, October the 31st, Evan Roberts left Newcastle Emlyn for Lacher, intending to be away for a week. He would not return for five months. Writing to Florrie Evans that morning, he asked to be remembered in prayer. Writing to another of the girls whilst on the train, he explains his motives. The reason for this is the command of the Holy Spirit. He gave the command last night at the meeting, and my thoughts were wandering, and my mind riveted on our young flock at Mariah. There seems a voice, as if it said, you must go. You must go. Please excuse the pencil and the writing. This has been written while the train was in motion from Newcastle Emlyn to Pencader. Evan Roberts' arrival at Lacher was unexpected. At first his mother thought he was ill. He explained that he was going to work amongst the youth of the area and planned to travel throughout Wales, offering Christ to sinners. Mrs. Roberts sought to bring him back down to earth by reminding him of school and finance. Evan replied that God would provide as God hath plenty. The rest of the family noted the difference in him. His speech was changed. This wasn't the Evan who went to college six weeks previously. Hearing that his brother Dan was off work due to a weakness in his eyes, Evan declared that his eyes would recover immediately. And they did. Dan was to become another of the key players in the spread of revival over the next few months. Evan Roberts' prophetic words to his brother were on the verge of fulfillment. Dan, you shall see there will be a great change at Lacher in less than a fortnight. 
We are going to have the greatest revival Wales has ever seen. Monday evening, the 31st of October, 1904. Evan Roberts, now back at Lacha, goes to the prayer meeting held every Monday here at Mariah Lacha. At the end of the meeting, he asks people to stay behind. Sixteen people stay behind, plus one little girl. It's the beginning of the Evan Roberts Revival Meetings here in this church at Mariah. In two weeks' time, the excitement will have gone throughout the whole of Wales. For the next week, it's going to be here in this room, in Pisgah, just a few miles down the road, and in some other local chapels. Evan Roberts is excited. Things are going to happen. Things are actually happening. On the Saturday, at the end of that first week, he writes to Elsie Phillips, a friend, describing what he is going through. We hold a prayer meeting every night at 8 o'clock. These meetings have been a success. The young people say they could sit all night. Monday night, I explained to them the object of the mission. Then I told them of the Spirit's work in New Quay and Newcastle Emlyn, and urged them to prepare for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this was the plan I have taken under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. There are four things to be right. You can go to heaven without being filled with the Holy Ghost, but without being filled, you will lose much on the way. Number one, you must obtain full and complete pardon for the sins of the past. If the past is not all right, it must be made so. Every sin you know of, confess it honestly before God. Number two, is there anything doubtful in your life? If so, it must be removed and done away with. Is there a habit of doubtful character in your life? Away with it. If there is, there cannot be any joy in your heart until you remove the questionable habits and pleasures. Self-denial is one of the very first essentials of the religion of Christ. Number three, complete and immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit. Say, not something prompts me to pray. It is not something, it is the Holy Ghost. Whatsoever he says to you, do it. The world may laugh. He did not, you will not be here long. Bow to him now. Do not say hush when one breaks into prayer. Resist not the spirit. Four. A public and personal confession of Christ. How long will it take you to make a confession of Christ? Stand up now. Do not look at one another. Out with a confession. These are the four things leading to the grand blessing. This is our success. This week in public confession. Monday night, 16. Tuesday, 6. Wednesday, 4. Thursday, 20. Friday, 19. Total, 65. By the end of the first week, a change was evident in many people. This became a talking point in chapel, pub and workplace. This change even affected Evan's home. Our family has had a great change. 
My sister, a girl of 16, who before was a sarcastic and peevish girl, has had a grand change. And the testimony is that she is happy now, and that there is some joy in living. You can see the change in her face. Not everyone was positive. Some said that he was out of his mind. Others questioned that if the Holy Spirit is at work, why doesn't he come before midnight? Some called him a deceiver. Evan Roberts' controversial methods became such a talking point that people were coming to the meetings to decide for themselves and they were overflowing. Evan described the second week as a week of direct prayer. This began on the Sunday evening. The revivalist himself described the scene. After the service, I continued until it was 12 o'clock. I said I was not satisfied with it and that we must get the blessing, even if it was necessary to stay down until daybreak. I said that we would have to strive with heaven. Now we must believe that the Spirit will come, not think he will come, not hope he will come, but finally believe that he will come. After this, the Spirit said that everyone was to pray. Pray now, not confess, not sing, not give experiences, but pray and believe and want, and this is the prayer. Send the Spirit now for Jesus' sake. The people were sitting and only closed their eyes. The prayer began with me, and then it went from seat to seat. Boys and girls, young men and maidens, some asking in silence, some aloud, some coldly, some with warmth, some formally, some in tears, some with difficulty, some adding to it, boys and girls, strong voices, then tender voices. Oh, wonderful. I never thought of such an effect. This will be the plan for the week. Everyone to pray individually for the Spirit. Send the Spirit now for Jesus Christ's sake. Evan Roberts' enthusiasm was unbounded and often overpowering. Meetings went on until three or four in the morning, and it wasn't long before the press got to know of the religious goings-on at Lacha. On Thursday, November the 10th, the first report appeared in the columns of the Western Mail. By Friday the 11th, the Western Mail had sent a special correspondent to cover the events in detail. A remarkable religious revival is now taking place at Lacha. For some days, a young man named Evan Roberts, a native of Lacha, but at present a student at Newcastle Emlyn, has been causing great surprise by his extraordinary orations at Mariah Chapel. Such excitement has prevailed that the road in which the chapel is situated has been lined with people from end to end. Roberts, who speaks in Welsh, opens his discourse by saying he does not know what he is going to say, but that when he is in communion with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will speak, and he will simply be the medium of his wisdom. Soon all the other newspapers followed suit, and consistent coverage was to continue well into 1905. This not only chronicled events, but also created a hunger for similar outpourings of the Spirit throughout the Principality. Evan Roberts' progress from Lacher to the Valleys, Liverpool and North Wales, was reported and analyzed. Here was the new Howell Harris. Here was a young man sincere, enthusiastic, who spoke the language of the people. Interest in him grew from day to day, 
And he wasn't the only revivalist. Joseph Jenkins and his new key team made a huge impact in North Wales. R.B. Jones' preaching was the instrument of revival in Ross and Anglesey. W.W. W. Lewis continued to speak at conventions for the deepening of the spiritual life alongside W.S. Jones, recently moved from Penuel Chapel, Carmarthen, to the Rhonda. Many other local ministers and young people also took up the challenge to reach Wales. Still, many of the national papers couldn't get away from their fascination with Evan Roberts. One of the first press interviews was on Friday, November the 11th, to Brindley Evans, the editor of the Llanelli Mercury. It gives us a glimpse of the revivalist at this early stage. The young missioner was full of enthusiasm for his work, but there were traces in his deathly white face of severe mental strain. The long vigils of the week had evidently told on him, and more so as he had been able to sleep but little. However, there were no signs of fatigue in his conversation. He walked up and down the little room with a restlessness that told of a brain ever at work. The toil and long hours were eventually to take their toll, but for now, Evan Roberts is unstoppable. Brinley asked the question, are you overtaxing your strength? No. Fine, I am not. The Holy Ghost will sustain me. I was converted 13 years ago, and I've been praying for the Holy Ghost ever since, and now it has come. Oh, it is glorious. What I want is for the people to know the joy of religion. Religion was never intended to make a man gloomy. It should be the happiest thing in life. Our fathers, thank God for them, were saintly men, but were gloomy and melancholy, as though religion was a sore trial to the flesh. What they missed was the joy of our Lord. They got into a groove, and we must now get out of it. And getting out of the groove was exactly what happened to Welsh nonconformity over the next year or so. From Lacha, Evan went on a whirlwind tour of the valleys of South Wales. The various meetings were being chronicled in detail by the newspapers of the day, and they were services with a difference. The usual format was put to one side. One reporter speaking about Evan's methods wrote, he perhaps is the very first to adopt such methods. He has no program of any sort, and we do not know that he even prepares his addresses. It is the people who carry on the meetings, not he, and he continually emphasizes the need of all learning to rely on the spirit and not on man. People just didn't know what to expect. Evan would often arrive after the chapel was already full to the scenes, either through a back door or somehow managing to squeeze his way through the crowd of the pulpit. Here he would often sit, waiting for guidance, as the congregation would continue in worship, praise and prayer. His messages were nearly always informal. They were completely different to the rhetoric of the preachers of the day. Uh, he confessed himself that he rarely prepared, but uh, 
depended on the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, this was criticized by many. Others thought it was a, a wonderful change. Uh, here was someone who spoke their language. He had a spirituality which was in the vernacular. It was different. It was sensational. He spoke on a number of different subjects. Sometimes he would uh, speak on the line of a hymn. Someone was singing and, and he would speak on it. Something would come and he would use it. Uh, at other times he would take a text that would come into his mind. At other times he would speak about his own experience. His major themes revolved constantly around Gethsemane, the cross. It was as if he himself had been there. He felt what it was like to bend to the will of God. And when he spoke about that, he was often overcome. Tears in his eyes. Um, sometimes he'd have to sit down. He couldn't say any more. He would... He was, he was overcome himself. He spoke from the heart. Sometimes his heart spoke for him. Evans' emotional outpouring was called exhibitionism by his critics. The most public being that of the Reverend Peter Price from Dowlice, whose letter was published by the Western Mail, accusing Evan Roberts of leading a phony revival. Evan himself never replied to the criticism, yet the Western Mail was full of letters for and against the young revivalist and his methods, something which many feel hurt him deeply. But deliberate exhibitionism seemed the furthest thing from his mind. He often rebuked congregations who he felt came to see a spectacle. He was nothing. People should come to worship God alone. Meaning to take away attention from himself, he would on occasion remain silent in the pulpit for over an hour. Yet the result of this unexpected behavior made him even more headlines. And there was a mysterious side. Here was a man who claimed to know what was going on in the hearts and minds of the congregation. Here was a man who could prophesy how many would be converted in the meeting. Here was a man who seemed to be a spokesman for God himself on various issues. And there was something about that face, those eyes. There were other differences in his meetings. Evan Roberts' team was made up of women young women similar to the girls he had met in Newquay. They would be involved in singing and testifying. But it didn't stop there. Many dared to step into the male domain and pass on a message or two as well. These spiritual suffragettes played as important a part in the services as Evan himself, even interrupting his messages at times with their musical contributions. Many became well-known during the next year. Their pictures reproduced in the Western Mail revival postcards. Probably the most well-known was Annie Davis of Mystag, who with her sister and S.A. Jones from Nantamoyle joined Evans' team in mid-November. When entering the chapel, I knew there was a great power working there. My soul was moved to its depths. My tears freely flowed when the Reverend David Hughes asked me and said, Can I do, Beth Annie? Sing something, Annie. With an irresistible force, I leapt from my seat 
and sang, Here is love, vast as the ocean. I could not finish it as I was sobbing too much. I could not refrain from weeping throughout the meeting. After the meeting, Evan Roberts spoke to me, saying, You must come with me. I went with him and was with him all the time that he was journeying to and fro. This wasn't everyone's idea of a woman's place, yet the congregation seemed to respond positively to the new feminine touch in the services. The singing wasn't limited to the soloists. Often the congregation would sing well-known hymns for hours at a time. Hymns that had now taken on deeper and newer meanings in the heat of revival helping to express the newly felt spiritual truths experienced by thousands of converts. Incorporated into the meetings were the prayers of the saints, fresh, real, enthusiastic, free from the stereotypical forms of previous years. They broke all of the rules of grammar and public speaking. They also seemed to break into heaven itself. Lord, save my father. He's sure to be in the pub. Go in after him, Lord. I know it's not a respectable place for you to go to, but will you go, Lord? Save him and bring him to the meeting. Mother is breaking her heart. Give me strength to stand against the devil. He's pulling hard on my coat, but he can pull it to pieces before I give in, and the pieces will be the trophies of my victory. Oh, Lord, if you please, when you get hold of Samuel Owen, Tell him that the pubs are closed in Festinyog. He'll be pleased to know. Lord, you are driving the chariot of salvation through this place. But please, Lord, not too fast. Could you slow down a little? Remember that there are some like me who may not be able to get on in time. Thank you for Calvary. And although it's only a little mountain, it's grown bigger than the Himalayas by now and the whole of Wales can see the summit. Hundreds responded to confess Christ. The effect of these meetings was seen and felt throughout the Principality. Churches were crowded. Prayer meetings were held, not just in the vestry, but in the pit and the steelworks. There was even a drop in alcohol consumption. Publicans were complaining that their trade was suffering due to so many turning from alcohol. Good language replaced bad language. Many of the pit ponies, accustomed only to the cursing and swearing of the miners, were unable to comprehend cleaned-up speech and as a result didn't work as well. Even sport suffered as footballers were taken up with the revival meetings and failed to turn up for matches. The biggest and most lasting impact of the revival was the change it made in people's lives. The Western Mail published lists of numbers during the revival itself. Numbers of people who professed to be converted. 30 in one town, 50 in another town, 200 or more in another town. But the reality of the fact was that these numbers were people people who had experienced a total transformation of their inner and social lives. People who would put energy and life into the churches 
of the future. People who never forgot their experience. People who saw alcohol changed into chairs and clothes for their children. People who experienced a change of language, a new language, a language that sometimes wasn't even understood by those who were used to them. These were new people who'd experienced the old religion, but in a brand new way. Amen. That's a lot to think on. That statement right at the end. We've experienced an old religion in a brand new way. That just seems so fitting for those of us that are raised, especially in the message, and those of us that, even anyone who's had any kind of walk in a church, when you get born again, it takes something you might have known your whole life and makes it all new. You know, that, that right, at the, right at the beginning of it, you know, that it, it seemed like it lost its spark. Lord, help us never to get to that place. And I'd encourage you, if you've come to that where you say, Lord, I, I, I'm missing that spark. There's, there's, that fire is missing. Just look to him. How did it start? He says, I was, I was converted 13 years ago and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, God came on this aim for him. If we'd just be more sincere. What if we'd sing that song? I guess, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. Oh, Lord. 